0: Roger, I have a question for you.
1: Oh gosh, that's an aggressive start to the episode. What could it be?
0: Is there a phantom in the mall? Do, 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 do. Is there a phantom in the mall? Do, 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 do.
1: Talk about Talk f- about a soundtrack <laughs> <It's> worth <laughs> highlighting.
0: <laughs> well, I could not I could not say the second verse to that particular song because it contains a a slur unfortunately. Um, but hey, I'm all for an eighty slasher film that has a its own personalized theme song. I mean, we we did the Mutilator a few weeks back. We're going on a fall break, fall, and now we got is there a phantom in the mall? And with this fucking movie, the answer is yes. There's a fucking phantom in the mall. A
1: literal phantom. I mean, like you couldn't get more typical cliche Phantom of the Opera esque phantom if you tried. He's got the the full on mask. Exactly uses as you would anticipate, he's got the burned face. This film really is the Phantom of the Opera, but set in a mall. Removing, completely removing the opera aspect. It's the same basic storyline set in a mall. I mean, obviously there's a few little details regarding romances and cover-ups and arson. But at its core, you've got this misunderstood burn victim <laughs> whom is... Uh, rightfully unhappy with some events that transpired a year prior. Uh, We're going to get into all of the things that really set this film into motion, but I got to say right now, while he makes some bad choices, I feel like Eric is one of my my single favorite anti-heroes. I can think of it a long time. This guy really is the hero of the film, even though he's killing people and does become kind of rapey at the end of it. I feel like I am on Eric's side for this movie. And Troy, how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I think anti-hero is the perfect word to describe Eric because who would not be pissed in his circumstances? I mean, truly, his parents were, uh, I'm assuming his parents died in this house house fire. He is horribly scarred, forced to hide out in a, I don't know how he got in this mall, but he's he's living in this mall, falling around the girl of his dreams that he was madly in love with, who who now he has to watch through surveillance as she's falling for another guy. Who whew, We'll talk about him, but yeah, I mean, so I don't blame Eric, and he, it's not like he's killing like innocent people, right? It's I, it's not like he's just going through the mall and grabbing grandma that's there shopping for her grandson's birthday present. Toys R Us. She, he's killing people that. I don't want to say deserve it, but ultimately deserve it, right?
1: Well, I mean, he's also killing random security guards and maintenance men. There's, are, a, they're just working on but, the but event system. But there's a reason. There
0: is a reason yes. for that. It, I mean, yes, there's a motive. There, yes, there is a motive. Those poor security guards. Yes, they were just doing their job. Especially that one that's obsessed with watching the gals <laughs> dress in the dressing. Room. Okay, I get it. I get it. But I mean, this movie—it's '80s pure '80s cheese. It's like a combination uh, of. I mean, Chopping Mall, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you got fucking Morgan Fairchild and her big blonde-ass hair, you got Polly Shore, what more could you fucking ask for?
1: Trey, I literally, that is my first note. It is, it is this film is giving us Polly Shore and Morgan Fairchild, what more could you ask for? <laughs> literally my first note. And it's a fact, and I gotta say, Polly Shore at this point, you know, Polly Shore got real annoying. Real fast. Real annoying. Real annoying. But this is Polly Shore, a little more understated, a little more downplayed. And I actually think he's kind of adorable in this. Like, he's a cutie patootie. This is way before he became so obnoxious that you just couldn't take him and God did all the drugs and so forth. You know what I'm saying. This is Poly Shore um, before he kind of had his big defining breakout roles that he kind of went into this caricature that he created. So he's kind of like surprisingly downplayed in this film. He still has some poly Shore moments, but overall he's, Pretty likable, which I thought was shocking. I did not remember that.
0: Yeah. uh Yeah. I think any, when anybody hears Paulie Shores in this movie, they're automatically going to be like, ugh. But it is a very, like you said, understated Paulie Shore. A few, a few tad moments of annoyance, but nothing like his over the top persona that we've got accustomed to. Right. But folks, if you haven't guessed, we are talking about the 1989 slasher film, I guess. It's a slasher film, yeah. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge.
1: It starts as a slasher film. It definitely starts off and you think, I'm getting a slasher film. But as this movie goes on, it becomes a lot of things. At one point, it becomes, I would say, very prominently becomes a martial arts film. Like, there is a good 30, 40 minutes of this movie where you have a multitude of very complex fight sequences that take up a fair amount of time in this movie. If you would have cut down on some of those fight sequences and I mean I love them. I love them but not necessarily in a movie where I've been seeing people getting their faces shoved into fans and so forth. At this point I'm expecting a horror movie and so would you give me three back to back martial arts fight sequences in this film? I'm a little taken aback. It's a, I'm, a little, I'm a little thrown off by it but I'm going to roll with it because this movie has a charm to it that I love. I think this movie is just a a delightful watch in all of its absurdity. And it has a rather likable and very attractive cast.
0: Yeah, you are completely right. And I feel like that is the uh, sort of the announcement that needs to be made. If you've never seen this movie is it's fucking absurd, but if you go into it with no expectations and just watch it for, and then realize you're going to watch a bunch of absurdity, it's a fucking blast. It really is. Um, is it a good film? No. Uh, the story doesn't make a whole lick of sense. When you really start to t- dissect, what's. Go- it doesn't make fucking sense. I, I want to know how this mall was built so fucking quickly. First of all, this giant Mall of America-sized mall apparently was built in like four months. I don't know. But, um, but that's just the start of it. We are going to get into it. We, uh, we want to point out something. Last night, we spent a great deal of time recording our we always say uh, for patreon we're we're like oh we can make these shorter because they're just patreon episodes so not that we don't like our (laughs) patrons we love them for subscribing to us and listening to us we got double digits still well we ended up (laughs) talking about the betty davis disney produced watcher in the woods for two hours last night (laughs) I know. So if that's how, how Troy I know this is gonna really entice you, but if that sounds enticing and you want to hear that episode, head on over to Patreon.com slash Dark Night of the Podcast and subscribe. <laughs> I know it's enticing too. Uh,
1: I, uh, I I'm literally over here like with tears in my eyes because you fuckers like I I'm gonna tell you people right now if you want to hear Troy go off about a <laughs> movie listen to him talk about watcher in the motherfucking woods which i've had revelations about that film after we reviewed it we're going back to it there is an alternate ending that's about 15 minutes long that i found sleuthing on the internet that deserves some attention we will be following up on watcher (laughs) in the woods in our patreon i assure you there's more to come but right now we're talking about a movie that's as bonkers as its title <laughs> which is the not only the phantom of the Mall. then they had to add on eric's revenge and it's not like eric is a defined character that you the viewers are going in anticipating like oh eric like this is uh, you know like kind of like jason if they would have made like blah, blah 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 jason's revenge i'd be like fuck yeah i'm gonna see that movie like i expect to see jason good to know he's back Who the fuck is Eric? None of of us are enticed by the the concept of Eric's revenge being added on to a title, Phantom of the Mall. Uh, I mean, I think Phantom of the Mall alone would have suited this movie just fine, but no. They really want you to know that there is a tale of vengeance here at play, and you do get quite a lot of revenge, which I do appreciate about this film. Because it, it is a vengeance story beginning to end. And when you find out the reason for why, I mean, you're like, absolutely, you go get him.
0: <laughs> I don't blame him. I, I don't, don't blame, blame him. Them. <laughs> but the film, yeah, I mean, the film, you mentioned it early, early on, that the film does start out like a very traditional slasher film, particularly with the opening sequence of some unknown figure, like jumping into a um, a mall sporting goods store. He's crawling through the vents and he jumps in and he's breathing heavily. We see him taking like a jacket off a mannequin, grabbing a crossbow and a face mask. And this poor security guard just doing his nightly rounds just wanders into this store and is immediately shot in the fucking chest with the crossbow. And that's how the film opens. So you're like, okay, yes, a slasher film in a mall. Yay, okay. Because, you know, chopping mall, which again, another absurd fucking movie that I love, and we are covering it. It's on my list. I've talked about it. We are covering it. The thing about Chopping Mall is they, you know, the title itself, Chopping Mall, and then um, the tagline on the box, where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. Clever. <laughs> but I, you know, as a kid, I thought Chopping Mall, it's going to be a, sh- a slasher movie. It's really, I mean, it is, but not. Like the traditional slasher. So with Phantom the Mall, I wanted to see people being picked off in a mall by a masked killer. And that's what you get for maybe the first 15 minutes of the film. I would say like something like Hide and Go Shriek is a better example of if you want a mall themed slasher or like the initiation. No, I mean, so we get this opening and then we do get these fiery opening credits. And the film wastes no time cutting to this mall opening ceremony where the mall owner, Mr. Posner is his name, is giving a grand speech at, about, oh, finally, Midwood is on the map. And he introduces Miss Mayor Karen Wilkins, played by the ever-lovely Morgan Fairchild. Not the strongest actress in the that's come out of the 80s, but God, I love her. I mean, she, that big blonde fucking poofy hair, that voice you know she always she always looks so elegant carries herself very elegantly and i feel like this role was kind of fit her very well like she's not terrible
1: no she's she's quite good in this film to be honest and the character when you think about this character being the mayor of the town I mean, her involvement in the story is it's way more prominent than it needs to be i mean she gets kind of evol- involved in the kids hijinks for a while and she's like giving him advice and saying she's going to work alongside him and it, it, it's kind of far fetched but everything about this movie is far fetched so i can roll with that but she's actually great in this role um <laughs> she, she's often wearing these like great power suits like she starts off in this like big shoulder pad, peach-colored power suit. She ends the movie in a sequin dress with her knockers all pushed up. Uh, they really make her look like a glamorous mayor, and the people seem to love her, and she is hyping up this mall, and she's all into it, and so it does open it on, like, this note of, wow, what a, what a huge deal. If only they knew 25 years from this time period and malls would be completely dead, <laughs> like... A dead concept that's no longer operating. So it is kind of weird to see their enthusiasm for it.
0: Well, I wanted to know what kind of shithole town this is that they are getting this worked up about a fucking mall. The crowd is a cheering and a hooting and she's saying Midwood is finally on the map. And I'm like, because of a mall. I mean, if the town is a shithole and she's dressing like this, it's obviously why she was elected mayor because she's the best looking thing in the town. Apparently not though, because again, we mentioned the cast in this film. pretty damn good looking across the board. So despite Midwood being a, a dump apparently before this mall got here, they do produce some, some good looking town folk, but yeah, everyone's excited about the mall. And then we cut to a, uh, a bar and grill that apparently is inside the mall called sleuths, where we are introduced to melody who becomes our lead final girl. And uh, she apparently just interviewed for a job and thinks she did not get it because when the bar owner comes out, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I I totally understand if you go with somebody else. But he's actually bringing her her uniform. So she is going to be a waitress at the new
1: mall. Soft-spoken and demure, Melody, like right off the bat, encompasses so many of the traits that you want to see from a good final girl. and. I really do believe that Melody, over the course of this film, hits all the notes that you want to see from a strong final girl, especially when you get to the final 20 minutes. She's likable. I mean, she is just as sweet as fucking apple pie. She's so pleasant. And then, you get to the final, like, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, and girls in the middle of these wild fight sequences and hanging off rafters. <laughs> like, she gets super physical out of fucking nowhere. Didn't anticipate it. And she does it in like a tiny little, little like navy blue suit dress with a mini skirt that looks really fucking hot on her. Her character goes through this kind of evolution towards the end of the film that is kind of exciting to watch. I I really like that for her. The opening of the movie, though, she's just pushed as likable, likable, likable. And she sells it. She's quite good in the the role. Well,
0: and I do like the fact that her character has no qualms about like, sticking to her convictions and standing up for herself, even in the final moments of the film, where you think, you know, it, you think it may go one way and she steers the film in a completely different direction, which again, refreshing to see a, a strong, you know, st- like I said, a strong female that's standing up for what she wants, despite the the danger that may be involved with her with her decision. We do cut to then a bunch of 80s that big blonde 80s aquanetted hair all these blonde girls in line filling out applications and interviewing for a sales girl position at windsor fashions sounds amazing it's i mean some of the clothing outfits that you could buy at windsor fashions roger your next drag show i know where we're going shopping for you
1: if it's still standing (laughs) if this place is still standing everything about this is so fucking dated but i love that this this line uh, out the door for girls applying for a position here it looks like they're fucking auditioning for a hollywood movie like it's some big to do really like you'd think that before this mall came to this area the only thing they had was like a dq like they they ain't never had nothing like this in midwood before but now they got they're applying for the new sales girl over at windsor fashion like, <laughs> <laughs> and all the girls are in line it's some big deal and you do get The introduction of this character, Susie, who comes busting out of her interview, looking all confidant, cute little outfit. What a cutie patootie this one is.
0: Yes. The characters in this film are, for the most part, likable across the board. And that is, again, I want to use the word refreshing because so many modern day horror films, slasher films made the mistake of giving us characters that are completely unlikable. Completely underdeveloped. And I'm not saying like this, this Susie character is like three dimensional or anything, but the actress is stunning. She plays the part well. Um, her interactions with the Polly Shore character are quite charming. And, you know, yeah, just likable all, all around. And she comes up a- stomping out of that interview. She got the job. She got the job. Because when she goes to, to meet up with uh, Miss uh, Melody, they're both excited because they're like, oh, you got the job. Oh, and the- yay, yay, yay. Uh, And then they go to watch the mayor, Mayor Wilkins, and even Melody makes the comment. She's like, oh my God, I don't know how she does it. She always looks so put together.
1: She does. She absolutely fucking does. Down to the makeup. She looks great and they all acknowledge it. And they even, they get to pose for a photo here in a moment with her. It's such a big to do. Um, This whole grand event, the opening of the mall, Um, One of the focus points of of the speeches that they're giving is around this upcoming mall investors 4th of July ceremony that's coming up. And it's apparently quite the to-do. And as they're kind of rattling off about it, you do have this kind of mysterious figure lurking inside of the air vents. Clearly the same figure that we saw before. And and I want to point out now, because for a good amount of the, the, the movie, the antagonist is only portrayed in like silhouette and in shadows. And this is, I would say, when he is at his strongest as a malevolent force within the film. As soon as you see what we're getting from this movie, it loses a lot of its fear factor. But right now, as it is still in that kind of slasher stylistic approach, they're they're really handling it, like we said, like a slasher movie at, at this point. He is rather effective when in silhouette. Uh, so there are a few moments here as you get him creeping around, sneaking up on employees, working there in the in the vents and so forth, that he's rather effective. I, I wish that they would have been able to maintain that throughout the course of the film, but eventually it does all kind of go to shit in that category. Yeah,
0: because again, like you mentioned, the film switches tones about midway through. It switches from being a, a true bare slasher flick to something a little bit more wild and convoluted and like you said almost like a fighting kung fu revenge film and the the the, the, the shift is jarring but i don't think it makes the film any less enjoyable uh, once you kind of get used to what what just what, what's happening and you you go with it so yeah he watches through the air vents and when they mention the July 4th like ball that's going to take place at the mall you see him go to his calendar and circle that date and then he, you know, takes the mannequin mask and breaks it in half to make like his Phantom of the Opera style mask that he wears for a good portion of the film. Now, uh, Melody and Susie go to the ice cream store where Buzz, played by Polly Shore, is working. And again, Polly Shore, very charming in this role. Again, I like the interaction between Buzz and Susie. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing going on that you have a character like buzz who in a roundabout way is almost sort of like a love interest for the Susie character because they are so completely opposite like it's not a couple that you would expect to be together but there seems to be like some sort of thing going on even though she plays it off and tells him oh buzz off buzz and like not a chance but then later on in the movie they're dancing together and so it's kind of an interesting dynamic that I actually really like she gives him, uh, she gives Susie an ice cream and as he's getting ready to eat it, she sees there's an ear in it and, you know, she's like taking it back, but then he pulls the ear out. He's like, oh, an ear is extra and he starts to eat it. So obviously Buzz is also a practical joker that likes to pull these types of pranks. So that comes into play later on. The mayor comes waltzing up in her pantsuit with the reporters and she's like, oh, how are you girls? Are you enjoying the mall? And they tell her, yeah, we both start work tomorrow. So she says, oh, well, let's get a picture. And we are introduced to Peter. What, your, what do you think about Peter?
1: I want to fuck the shit out of oh my God. <laughs> Holy bananas. I mean, this fucker is all jaw. I mean, he's just so fucking handsome. He's handsome. Like, some people are like, handsome only of that era handsome. And some people are just traditionally handsome in a way that just holds up like to this day this guy is still hot as all get out and um he is just quite a heart throb in this movie not to say that you know eric when he's not horribly burned isn't also fucking hot as we'll come to find this girl's she's getting her pick of the litter i mean (laughs) like she is getting some fine ass men fawning over her sure one of them has severe skin wounds all over his face, but I don't care. In his prime, this guy was fucking gorgeous. Um, And it's almost like, which one do I prefer? (laughs) (laughs) Because they're both so hot. But Peter, man, oh, la la. One of the hotter focal male characters from the era, to be honest,
0: Yeah. Those, those eyes, those blue eyes. And it's actually, he's actually played by Rob Estes, who I was one of, honestly, Roger, I'm going to tell you this was one of like my, one of my first realizations that I was gay was watching Rob Estes in that old sleazy USA network television series called Silk Stockings. Do you remember that?
1: I have no fucking idea what silk
0: stockings is, but it's how he's in it. And I remember like my mom and dad watching it, you know, when it was on back in the early (laughs) nineties and I saw him as like a, you know, a teenager and I'm like, Holy fuck. That is when I knew I was gay because he is stunning. And in that series, he spends half of the episodes shirtless, gorgeous, gorgeous man. And in this film, yes, he is absolutely stunning. Can't take your eyes off him acting. Not the strongest, but who the fuck cares when you look like that, right? Right. So right. they get their picture taken all, all the while that same person is w- still watching them from the air vents. Like this person, this Eric, it's Eric, we're not going to, it's not a mystery. Eric is in the vents. Like he literally spends his entire day like stalking Melody through the air vents. And when you think about that, it is quite creepy to the point where he's like everywhere that she's at, he's there looking through the air vents at her. He also watches her through security cam footage and he records footage of her so he can watch it over. Once you start to think about what this guy's doing and like his obsession with melody and stuff, it does make it, it does make him seem a little less like a guy you want to root for. Honestly.
1: Oh yeah. There's a creepy factor that exists with this character. That's undeniable. I mean, he is doing some crazy things. I mean, He's also killing people, too. Like, let's keep in mind, killing people to get to her. So he's definitely unstable. I I get why, after everything that's transpired. But yeah, he is definitely um, a flawed character um, who is consciously making a series of really off-putting choices. Especially, as you said, his fascination and fixation on her. And... Not only that, but his apparent jealousy he develops towards Peter pretty much right away. Because when you see them connect for the first time, there's this moment between Melody and Peter where he's like, I remember you. I was on site for this fire. I remember taking photos of you. And he kind of starts to recollect that he knows her face, why he recognizes her. You do have moments where you see early on Eric acknowledging this, recognizing this, and starting to form a hostility towards peter which does carry through the film there is purpose for that so i'm happy that seed is planted rather early on
0: peter actually says yeah i remember you and i remember you saying something about a guy that you saw that that evening with a with a religious symbol earring of some sort and she's like yeah i did and they killed eric and nobody cares and she storms away from him and he follows after her and she goes to her i'm assuming her work locker right and opens it up and there. are a big bouquet of orchids in it. And we cut to a flashback. This film loves its flashbacks. And it's a flashback of Eric before he was burned, before the mall was built, giving her these same types of orchids.
1: Charming. Oh, Eric is just so infatuated with her. Um, Initially in a good way, like in a loving boyfriend kind of way. And one of the things that is initially established is that Melody has not yet gotten over the loss of Eric, and she's having nightmares about you know his his death, and and she speaks very highly of him. Um, it's it's apparent that she still cares about him; she's still affected by what happened. Uh, and I do feel that, though her reasoning makes sense as things transpire towards the end of the movie, I feel that with the amount of care and concern she has for him initially at this point in the film. I'm kind of surprised by how she responds to a few things later in the movie. It seems almost like her care and concern for Eric and this love that she speaks of and how how much she cares about him kind of gets tossed out the window a little bit. I'm not saying I question her overall decisions to say what she says to him and do what she does to him. Um, But I do feel like she makes it seem like she's still madly in love with this guy. She's not over having lost him. And uh, it seems like we see her get over that pretty quickly here.
0: Yeah. And not to jump ahead to the ending, but we we, kind of know why she has the sudden change of heart when she actually has to see what he looks like now. And I guess that's the whole sort of underlying theme of the film, right? Are you still going to love somebody if they lose their looks or whatever because yeah the minute she sees him at the end of the film she kind of changes her tune um and realizes you know yeah this is probably somebody i can't really have an attraction to anymore and that doesn't make her you know a shitty person it is you know it's been it's been a while since they were together but yeah she she's been holding on to this love and this this anger that she has the fact that she knows that he was killed and she can't get over him. But I think that Peter comes into the picture just at the right time to kind of help her move on because again Peter is fucking stunning. So as Peter walks away from Melody, Buzz approaches Peter and tells him to he needs to lay off Melody because she has been dealt with a lot of stuff. Peter's response is, "Well, why don't you let her tell me that?" And now we are it's kind of your first indication that Peter has a attraction for Melody. And then we get a scene with a character by the name of Justin, who happens to be the mall owner, Mr. Posner's kid. And this is actor Tom Fridley, who horror fans, 80 horror fans will know from Friday the 13th part six.
1: He's big in this role. He's kind of big in this role, but I gotta say, I also think he's kind of hot. I like a guy with a prominent nose uh, and while this guy is a complete asshole over the entire course of the film, I mean, never once does he have a likable moment in the movie. Like he's kind of hot. He's wearing a crop top at one point. I like that. Um, I think yeah. Even even this guy, who's supposed to be totally shitty and a, a total prick, is still kind of hot. Hot cast.
0: No, he is, and he. I've seen him. You know, I, I've seen you know being two homosexuals. We we belong to a lot of like gay horror themed. Facebook groups and groups and whatnot. And I've seen like people try to do polls on who the hottest Friday, the 13th guy is. And Tom Fridley always makes the top probably three. He plays court in Friday, the 13th part six. You remember he gets the knife through his head while he's driving the RV. Uh, Looks pretty great in that too, but yeah, he's a, he's a good looking guy, but in this film, he is a complete asshole. I mean, I don't know the, the point of this character really, because he doesn't really add anything to the plot except another kill. And I think that's, and he has a great kill scene. It's one of the best of the, of the film, but like the the presence of the character really doesn't add anything to the plot. Like you could totally remove this character and it would still be the exact same movie. Nothing would change. Um, except he just is fucking annoying. Like he's the, the foe to his father, you know, his father owns this mall, obviously is rich. And so of course, his son is gonna be like this delinquent who shoplifts, who is just causes all kinds of mayhem. I could have done without this character, honestly, but I do I do appreciate seeing him in, in another eighties slasher flick.
1: Agreed, agreed. Especially because I think one thing to acknowledge, we keep saying that the like, you know, there's so many likable characters in this film in the sense of the leads, but the four focal characters that were given Buzz, Susie, Peter, and Melody are all likable. They really don't have many flaws overall. Um, they make consistently good choices throughout the course of the film. They are supportive of each other. They look out for each other. They go out of their way to help one another. So I think that, you know, you really want to see these characters make it through the movie. You've got to have a few characters thrown in here that you don't want to see <laughs> survive. Uh, I, so I, think, I do feel like they created this character just to have another unlikable individual that you're like, Oh, I can't wait for this person to get killed. I'm just waiting for it. Cause there's really not that many characters that you feel that way about in this movie, but he's so heavy handed with it. I mean, everything he does is so unlike,
0: yeah, well, no, the problem is like many of the people that do get killed in this movie are on screen for literally 10 seconds. Point case in point, the very next scene after we are introduced to Justin, we cut to just some random repairman. We don't even really—I can't even make out his face—working in the vents. When all of a sudden, Eric comes up behind him and shoves his face into a fan, a vent fan, slicing his his face to pieces, blood spurting out of it and stuff like that. But again, just a random person we really don't know. But we also then realize that Eric is definitely stealthily deadly. We then get Melody and Susie are in a store trying on clothes uh, as these, this perverted security guard sitting up in the security office watching all the gals unchanged. And there's some big milky boobs bouncing around as these girls are changing into their outfits. And we do get the presence of another horror I don't want to say icon, but a, a fairly well-known horror actor, Ken Foree from Dawn of the Dead. And he has a fairly large role in this.
1: Yeah, it was so nice to see him. I, I didn't remember him being in this. It's been a long time since I've seen this film, to be honest. I mean, I've seen this movie before. There's several scenes that I was like, oh my God, I I, I remember every single frame of this moment, like the, the escalator scene coming up here in a little bit. But overall, there were so many things that, I just didn't recall about this movie and seeing him being a Romero fan was awesome for me. It was really refreshing to see him in another reasonably well-known horror title. Cause he does have a pretty respectable resume under his belt. So it was cool to see him in this.
0: Yeah, and you know he plays a very similar type of character. I feel like in all of these films, and it's it's no different in this when he's kind of the in charge dude that you know is is going to bark orders because he tells this security guard to get off his fat ass and go check this knocking noise that Mr. Posner just called up to complain about that's coming from one of the vents. So yeah, he's 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 basically the the head security guard in the film. And again, you you I was. Forgot that he was in this too. It'd been it'd been a while since I had seen this, and I totally forgot he was in it too. But it's a welcome presence. I mean, when you think about this cast, it's actually a pretty pretty strong cast for such a kind of an absurd movie. Like you you wonder what these people were thinking when they read the script. But you know, his presence is definitely welcome.
1: This whole moment with these women getting changed in the dressing room, their doors open, their breasts exposed. This is very much. Um, it, it it almost feels a little tone deaf when you look at the rest of the movie, there's a couple of really aggressively sexual moments in the film. And other than that, it's kind of void of it. And it's almost like, like, why did you do this? Like, why do we have all these women lined up to get this really gratuitous, like <laughs> just shot of multiple nude women just standing there with their knockers flipping and flopping. it, it feels kind of unnecessary. And then to top it off, the security guard is like, pretty much on the cusp of masturbating to them in front of Ken Forey, who has to be like, cut it out. I mean, this man is, he's the security guard. He's watching these women change. It's kind of repulsive. Uh, And then he even has a moment coming up here after he leaves too, where he makes a comment to the girls as they're leaving about dangling his chain or whatever.
0: Oh yeah, he bumps into him. He's like, oh, hey girls, you want to pull my chain? Let's be clear. The security guards in this particular mall are... (laughs) up to no good creepy, creepy inept they do they knock babies over i mean they 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 are not these would not last in the real world right so yeah so he goes to check it out melody in the meantime sees this purple dress that is actually hideous but she's oh my god it's gross big old shoulder pads and fruffy ribbons and shit on it she's like oh i love it and Susie tells her, well, just buy it. That's what I do. If I want something, I just buy it. And Melody's like, well, no, it's too expensive and I need to save my my money for college. So now we get the pervy security guard crawling into the vent system and going into like a mechanical room. And he's checking things out. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Roger, fucking Eric comes on a forklift. Out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere, this fucking forklift. Pushes a security guard into the wall, into the fucking electrical box, frying him to the point where, cool, cool effect, his eyeball pops out and lands in some frozen yogurt mix. I love it. I love it.
1: It is out of fucking nowhere, first of all. I mean, like, the guy turns around, forklift, smashes him into the wall. And, and it's kind of drawn out. I mean, like, he's, like, getting electrocuted, his, his head's smoking, and then, yes, his eye does pop out. Um, it's It's really over the top. I'm I'm completely here for it. These kills that we're getting early on in the movie are fairly okay. Like earlier on when we had the guy get his face slammed into the goddamn fan, you got to see the aftermath of it. And it was like the inside pit of his head where everything else had been just fucking sawed off. So the kills up to this point have me intrigued. Like, where are they going to take it? How far are they going to go with this movie? I just saw a man lose his eyeballs. That's crazy. Again, the movie takes a shift in tone, so the kills also, I feel, take a complete shift in tone. Um, But these first few kills are pretty good. I do like this scene a lot. We also need to acknowledge real quick, what the fuck is with the random swab Italian pianist down in the main main area of the shopping mall? Because we just passed this gentleman. He comes out of fucking nowhere. Talk about characters that really don't serve, serve a purpose to the movie. I mean, this fucker, he's got this thick fucking accent. He looks... Like every stereotype of a butler I've ever seen in my life. And he's playing the piano. And he's like, oh, hello, girls. Like with this like real thick accent. It's so over the top.
0: And he's playing in the food court. Only the best from Midwood Mall. They have a pianist in the the food court. (laughs) So while you're eating your Chick-fil-A, you can, uh, you know. It's
1: like an inside of a goddamn cruise ship, this place. Um, So yeah, you got this pianist. He does come into play more than I would anticipate later in the film. Just wanted to note that for listeners.
0: Well, the mayor, Mayor Wilkins, and what is it with everybody in the town spending all of their time at this mall? Like, everyone is here constantly. Peter's here constantly. The mayor's here. Does she not have an office down at, like, the town hall? Because she's at the mall every fucking day. She goes up to the uh, Mr. Posner's office to tell him Well, first of all, she congratulates them on a great great grand opening. And then she said, you know, there's talk downtown about you running for city council. And I might throw my support to you, but you know, you got to keep your son, Justin, under wrap. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And she leaves and he goes and sits down on his desk. And then all of a sudden, something very unexpected happened that I didn't really anticipate. The security guard that just got his eyeball fried out falls from the ceiling and lands right in front of Mr. Posner on his desk with a letter taped to his chest that says an eye for an eye.
1: It's making it clear right right away here that Posner has some secrets. And boy, does he have secrets. And if you're listening, you're picking up. They're talk- they keep talking about the, the big fire that happened, the fire, the fire. Eric died in the fire. Um, it comes very full circle here. Posner is not played necessarily as a maniacal villain. Uh, We've seen far bigger, more over-the-top villains here, and I kind of like that he is kind of discreet and hush-hush about the shit that he's doing and the things he's pulling off. He never seems like this massive, scheming, obvious, big monologues kind of villain. Everything is played as almost like it's political between him and Karen, and it's very quiet. And there's some things that come out about her too later that you wouldn't expect. So I do kind of like that aspect that they all have this kind of poker face going on. Whenever they're in the, you know, down in the mall talking to the people, they're, they're really likable. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of shit being swept under the rug. In this moment, it's really clear that Eric is out. To get his vengeance, impossible.
0: Yeah, and this is the moment when it seems the film shifts gears a little bit with the upcoming scene uh, with Melly going to her car. She goes to her car and opens it, and there's a gift on the seat. She opens the gift, and it is that purple dress that she adored that that she said she couldn't afford. Awful dress. Yeah, she's taken a backbite and she tries to start her car and it won't start. So she gets out and pops the hood. And as she's trying to look in the hood to see what could be wrong with the car, she's attacked from behind with this figure dressed all in black and wearing a ski mask. And this figure is like aggressively trying to like, I don't know, is he trying to rape her? What do you, I, I couldn't really tell. What Was he trying to like grab her and pull her away and put her in the car? Was he trying to rape her? I don't know, but he's aggressively manhandling this poor Melody as she's screaming fucking bloody murder. All of a sudden, we see a figure appear on the roof of the mall and shoot this random assailant in the shoulder with a crossbow. The assailant Screams in agony and takes off running Just as conveniently Mayor Wilkins shows up
1: This mayor is too accessible In this movie This mayor is everywhere She's not just In the mall when you need her to be in the mall Casually Uh, She's also like at one point They go to her house like it's no big deal Go into the mayor's home in the middle of the night Knock it on her door and she just lets you inside She is far too accessible I'm happy to have her but it, it, it's almost—I uh, don't want to say bad writing—but it's almost like too strategic that she's there whenever they need her. Um, I think they're trying to, you know, shoehorn some Morgan Fairchild into the movie, which I'm here for that. Um, but it does feel almost planted, you know.
0: Oh yeah, it doesn't feel like authentic or realistic. Um, But she does tell Melody that she's going to report it to the police and they'll want to talk to her. But for tonight, Melanie needs to go home and get some rest. Uh, The mall owner, Mr. Posner, is on the phone. We cut back to him and he's calling somebody who says, hey, I'm going to need your help again. And then we get another flashback of Melody and Eric making love in his bedroom. These two must have fucked constantly because every flashback we get, they're fucking. It's
1: the steamiest flashback I have seen in recent memory. These two are going to town. I mean, soft, passionate kisses for you. Like they are soft kisses all over their torsos, rubbing his chest, kissing on her knockers, licking her belly button. I mean, I was, I was thrown off by how sexual this moment got because again this movie doesn't seem like it really needs to go there but god damn this is a long drawn out sex dream
0: <laughs> yeah i mean they're licking and yeah everything licking sucking and then all of a sudden she has visions of like the person pouring gas on the house and then lighting the house on fire And all of a sudden, fire engulfing Eric. And she, of course, wakes up screaming. It's just a dream.
1: She sees what seems to be a George Michael esque uh, silhouetted figure looming over her in this nightmare as he, I think, is dousing her with gasoline. I think he was going to light her on fire, too, but it didn't happen. But the killer does have a very George Michael vibe at times. I just, we need to point that out now. There is a distinct accessory that's been brought up a few times they keep talking about this earring and this apparently is an earring that this, what I think is going to be proven to be an assassin this man that just comes in and does this guy's dirty work, killing people he's got this earring and, and we learned he refuses to remove this earring and I think that is the worst possible decision for somebody who's trying to do major crime having such a noticeable accessory that you absolutely will not get rid of
0: well, it's the one thing that make them recognize him. It's the one thing that makes Melody realize it's it's him. She even shares it with with Peter, that he has this very distinct religious symbol dangly earring. After the next day at the mall, Peter is there again. Like I said, everyone just like lives at this mall. Uh, he runs into Buzz, who says, Hey, you got to come with me. I have a scoop for you. And then we get some random scenes of Eric working out in the... Dark tunnels of the mall. He's punching punching bags. He's doing karate kicks. He is just getting his workout on.
1: This is something that I didn't anticipate. Uh, workout montages, uh, images of him with workout equipment. Like, how the fuck did he get this shit into the into the layer that he lives in? I mean, this is some serious equipment. He's setting up monitors, cameras. I don't know where he's managing to pull this off because i think he's isn't he in a sewer layer beneath the mall that's what i
0: don't understand where he because is he in the vent system is he in the sewer i know how 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 did he manage to like go unnoticed for all the time that they were building the mall like if Uh, yeah
1: and i'm here for him having this whole like eye of the tiger like learning martial arts Becoming a badass journey—I like that for him. But it becomes a very prominent focus here. I mean, he's always working out. At times, he's rage lifting. He's so mad, he's lifting weights. I'm like, okay, like calm down with that. Like, you're gonna pop a vein or something. But yeah, I mean, like his obsession with exercise and martial arts becomes way more of a major playing factor here than I ever anticipated.
0: Well, I think that it is insinuated that he's, he has been stealing because this next scene, uh, Ken Forey is telling the owner all these things that have been missing from the mall. And he lists a bunch of things like weights, cameras. Yeah. So I think it's insinuated that Eric is stealing all this stuff and taking it to his lair. He also mentions, hey, my uh, partner hasn't shown up for work yet. And the owner says, oh, well, I fired him last night cover his ass right uh we cut to justin you know the bad boy he's but he's playing pinball and like when the pinball attendant is not looking he whips out a screwdriver and opens up the pinball machine and steals the money keep in mind this fucker's dad owns the mall like that these these have to be like millionaires why the fuck is he stealing quarters from a pinball machine
1: Well, then he also looks like he's at least 23 i mean is that really this the scale of petty crime that you're going for, man? Like, get your life together with your shag haircut. Jesus Christ! Like you're stealing quarters from pinball machines. What are you, twelve years old? Step it up. Get a job. Again, <laughs> yeah, it
0: just didn't make sense to me. Like I was like, okay, see, and that's what my point is. Like some of the decisions made with this character, I could have done without, and it just would have made the film like not lose any anything if this character wasn't in it. I feel like some of the things that happen with this character are a little too absurd for me. And then when it tr- sort of wants to go somewhere interesting with the character or have him go do something that is very sinister, they back off. And then we'll get to that scene here as well. So, yeah, as he he walks out of the pinball arcade and runs into his dad, who's like, I told you to never come in this mall again. Well, he opens up a can of soda or beer, and it sprays in his dad's face. And he takes off laughing. Is like, sure, dad, sure. And you, like, just want to punch this kid. And it's like, okay. Ugh. So in the vents, we're back in his lair. Eric is playing the song that is prominent in the film that apparently was Melody and Eric's song. And he's watching surveillance videos that he's recorded of Melody, just like random of her walking through the mall on different days. And I'm like, how obsessed are you with this girl? Like you're what you're literally watching videos of her walking through the mall.
1: This 80s soft rock ballad um makes for a very melodramatic moment it it is not necessarily the aspect of the film that aged the best i dare say um this usage of this song that keeps coming up because it is very of the era it sounds like something i imagine a bon jovi would be singing um and so he's listening to their favorite song watching this footage of her and i will say at least they're doing a good job cementing just how obsessed he is with her at this point. Because keep in mind, we've really not seen him up close yet. He's not had any dialogue. He's not had any real interactions with people. So they're having to create these little moments all on his lonesome that give you the viewer an understanding of the fact that he really is obsessed with this girl. I mean, he's carried this with him this whole time. Uh, Who knows how long he's been waiting for his plan to unfold. I don't know how he got her to get, apply for that job to begin with. But thank God she did because she's there now. So these little moments, I appreciate them because overall, these two do not have a lot of interaction. You've got the flashbacks and they do love a good flashback, but there's not enough to really establish, aside from them having great passionate sex, just how in love they were. So you need these moments of him kind of seething with rage as he's watching her life start to go on without him. Uh, To really appreciate just how deep into this he is.
0: So, back with Buzz and Peter, the whole scoop that Buzz has for Peter is that he discovered that under the music that they're playing throughout the mall, there are subliminal messages that are saying things like, I like to shop. The salespeople are my friends. Credit cards are good. (laughs) And Peter's like, Well, yeah, that's kind of unethical, but it's not illegal. And he notices like the security cameras in the different um, stores, and he zeroes in on one that has a security guard in it. And he notices the security guard has this dangly earring. So he asks Buzz, where's this guard at? And he tells him he's at Sam Goodies. So he goes up to the store and is trying to sneakily take a picture of the security guard as he's browsing the CD's. And he has to do it through like the, the security mirror because the guy's like right next to him. So he doesn't want to be too obvious. But as he clicks his camera, the guy, this guard catches on to what he was doing and this chase scene ensues. Roger, where these two guys are sprinting through the mall. Security guard is running full force after Peter knocks a baby stroller over knocks a bunch of random people over, punches a guy that's just trying to deliver some 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 goods to the stores. I feel like this would be cause for you to lose your job. He also climbs on top of the elevator that Peter gets in and like drops and drops down and he's like Rah!
1: that moment threw me. I forgot that he just put his face against the glass like that comes out of fucking nowhere. Uh, seeing that Sam Goody talk about some nostalgia, take me back. To the days of Sam Goody. I loved me a Sam Goody. I once got trapped in an elevator in a Sam Goody. I was trapped between floors. I was 12 years old, crying, beating (laughs) on the glass of the elevator. It traumatized traumatized me. i have never gotten an elevator since. I mean, I have. But for a few years, it was a problem. uh, All because of that Sam Goody. But this moment here, this chase sequence, really well executed. And kind of gives you a taste of things to come, because there's a lot of moments like this coming up. But... I really like how much of the mall we get to see through this sequence uh, because they're running through the the food court. They're jumping off escalators. You're right. They're knocking over babies. There's a lot of extras that get really fucked over in this sequence. I mean, this security guard, I think you're right. He would lose this job. But I also think, obviously, you've had Posner who called someone to do him a favor. I think the favor is he's posing as a security guard. You know, he's posing as this to get more information on where this whole you know body dropping from the ceiling came from, and you know, so he can take care of business. This is basically Posner's like private hitman, I think. So he's posing as a security guard. I feel like he can kind of get away with doing whatever the fuck he wants in this mall. Uh, but it is inappropriate that he just punched that random guy after knocking his boxes over. Um, and it eventually does end up with this moment where Peter thinks he ditches him foolishly, the security guard just yells, hey, from the floor above. And, and Peter ends up going backwards down the staircase. Um, he's okay. He sees Karen standing with another woman having a conversation. And he runs over to her to do like a photo op so that he's over by the mayor. And thus the security guard cannot pursue any further. Uh, so he smartly gets himself out of that situation.
0: And I do think this is the moment the film shifts gears from a, from a slasher film to something completely different. Uh, Again, just go with it because it's still fun, but it definitely loses the traditional slasher elements from this point forward. You get lots of chase scenes, lots of kung fu, lots of fighting. Uh, Melanie is back at work in her restaurant, and Susie comes in all excited because they're on the front page of the newspaper. Every interaction that Melody has, Eric is watching from the vents, Uh, So Susie Lee is leaving the mall and she walks by uh, Buzz's ice cream store and he gives her a free ice cream because she's famous now because she's on the Thursday front of the Thursday newspaper. And as she walks away, she notices there's an eyeball in it. Which we know is real, but because of the whole ear thing earlier on in the film, she grabs the eyeball and just throws it to the floor and is like, nice try, Buzz.
1: This is a real eyeball. I don't understand how this eyeball made it through this whole make- process of making soft serve. Like, how did someone not see it pouring <laughs> the soft serve <laughs> mix into the machine? And how did it cu- – it still looks like a normal eyeball. Like, how did it make it through the machine without either bursting or something?
0: Well, then if she threw it on the floor of the mall, wouldn't you think somebody would walk by and find it? Also, like, like, if she
1: thought it was a fake eyeball and so she threw the eyeball to the ground, there's still, like, all kinds of, like, gore and residue from it in the ice cream. Does that mean that she just downed, like, this eyeball residue? (laughs) Like, because there's, like, blood and gunk in the ice cream. I mean, I think girl just ate some, like, nasty-ass, gory ice cream and didn't even think twice about it. So, okay, girl, like... Whatever. She seems unfazed. And it's a very brief moment. I was expecting that eyeball to have a bigger moment, Um, but it's fun. It's fun and it's funny. It does not come back into play.
0: Back at her restaurant, Sluice, Melody has decided to play the jukebox. And she plays, you know, pushes in to play a song. And actually, the song that comes on is that fucking song that is her and Eric's. So she is like freaked out. Peter comes in and is like, hey, I think I may have seen the guy that you think you saw that night with the earring. he's like, I got a picture. I'm going to come back and show it to you. And this is when she, you know, she reveals to him, she's like, you know what? I thank you so much for being a friend. Uh, I love, I love Eric. And I've not been able to get close to anybody since he, you know, he died and I just appreciate you. We cut to the mayor talking to the security guard, the head security guard, about the attempted mugging and the guy that supposedly got shot. And she's walking by the pianist in the food court while they're talking about this. And she mentions the fact that some random person shot him in the shoulder and he walks with a limp. So as they go by, this piano man in the food court excuses himself. He's like, I'm sorry, ladies, it's my break. And he goes into the bathroom, takes off his jacket to reveal that his shoulder is just bleeding profusely
1: okay (gasps) let's let's pause for a second there's a lot to unpack here this cut again we've said this a few times this comes out of nowhere this pianist up to this point has seemed very pleasant uh has interacted with people barely at all It does not seem to be anything more than an afterthought. You know, he's something that's like been hinted at in a couple of moments. There's a pianist in the mall. Not a major playing factor at all. To reveal that this man, not only is the man that attempted to, I'm assuming you're right, rape a woman recently, uh, poor Melody, outside her car, only to be shot in the shoulder with an arrow. You're telling me this is the same guy. Why? what is the reasoning that the pianist from the mall is out raping women at night? Like, I just, I don't get it, but okay, we'll move with that. Then you're going to tell me that he was shot in the shoulder, apparently a very deep insertion of an arrow into his shoulder, and then, like, didn't in any way try to address the wound or tend to it? At all, and just went back to playing piano the next day. When he takes that jacket off, it's not like there's like a little bit of blood, and he's like, Oh, that hurts. It is. Uh, his shirt is drenched in blood. The wound is clearly just like open and oozing blood. This man's gonna bleed out. This man's going to die <laughs> from this injury he's sustained. I, I just, I'm so confused by this. I feel like they felt. They were lacking a kill or needed a reason to kill somebody and they had nothing. So they're like, let's throw a pianist into it. We'll put him in two shots and then we'll have him try to rape her and we'll kill him. Like, I mean, it, it seems so forced having this moment happen. And then what happens to him? I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> like, It's so weird. Yeah,
0: I OK. And again, this film shit happens in this film that just is not consistent with like th- what the rest of the film is trying to do. And this, I think the scene with this random penis. Yeah. He's literally, he's been bleeding out of the shoulder profusely for like, he's for 24 hours. Now this guy would not be a stand, be a, be able to play the piano, let alone stand up like, hello. Um, but then he goes to the bathroom and while he's in the bathroom, uh, we see that, uh, Eric is unscrewing. He, Eric see Eric knows everything about the small because he knows exactly what pipe leads to what toilet because he unscrews the lid of this pipe and he puts something in this pipe. And while this gentleman is sitting on the toilet, he shuts off the light, and we find out what Eric has put into the pipe to go into the toilet is a fucking cobra. Because as this, this as this pianist is sitting on the toilet, a cobra comes out of the
1: toilet. Ow! <laughs> <I know. laughs> It's so strategic. How did Eric manage to get this Cobra into this toilet so easily?
0: I don't, and it just happens to, and it, it's literally there in a, in a matter of seconds. I don't know. And it, 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 it comes out of the toilet and it's looking at him and the guy's like, oh, oh, and it literally
1: lunges forward and bites him in the dick. What is this moment? What is this? This is what, after all of this, first of all, when I see this scene start unfolding and I'm a first time viewer, I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to kill that poor pianist. Like this poor guy. Why are you going to pour the, well, wh- why are you going to kill the man? That's just bringing delicate piano music to this lovely mall setting. And then you get, you give me the reveal of him being the attempted raper. And you're like, Oh my God, that was unexpected. And then you're going to have a come <laughs> out of the toilet and bite him in the penis. And then you're going to have him give a no scream. Again, we've referenced Troll 2 multiple times recently. This is a Troll 2 level scream reaction when the snake bites him in the dick, which you do not see. But you do see the snake lunge in at his crotch and the guy screams at the top of his lungs. And then after that, I don't think you ever hear about it ever again. Do they ever ever acknowledge that the pianist just they got don't. killed by a snake? <laughs>
0: they don't. And you would think they want the pianist for this upcoming Fourth of July bash to be playing some some music for the for the guests, but yeah, the pianist is never acknowledged again. Um, yeah, it's a, such a weird weird scene for this movie. It oh, it really is.
1: It feels like a reshoot, or it feels like a if, like an uh, like something that they filmed separately. It really doesn't even feel consistent with the But movie. does it
0: not add to the charm though? That's the thing. Is oh my if God. any any other movie this would have like been. Okay, this is but it adds to this film's charm just because this film is just so weird to begin with and just when you think it can't do something weird that doesn't gel, it comes out of nowhere and does something that tops what you would expect and it's just Again, I mean, it's just you sit back and and this is a film that you're just going to eat some popcorn and just go with it because it gets even more absurd here as we go on.
1: And add on to the list of Eric's skills and talents, by the way, aside from Taekwondo and Weightlifting. He's a snake wrangler. He's a snake wrangler as well because this is not the last that we have seen of this specific cobra. Oh, no, this cobra... Becomes a a pivotal part of the movie for about 20
0: minutes. Or That evening, there's like a little party or something at a sluice where Melody works. And of course, Peter shows up to show her the picture of the security guard that he snapped. But unfortunately, it's too blurry for her to tell who it is. And Eric, of course he is, is watching from the vent. And this is like when Melody and Peter are really starting to bond. Like you can tell that she is smitten with him. She's revealing things to him that, you know, about how much she loved uh, Eric, but she knows she has to move on because it's been so long and she, and he's watching it all of a sudden his response, he's getting so frustrated watching these two, <laughs> these two bond Roger that he goes and grabs a 10, 10 pound dumbbell and does some power curls.
1: <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This man rage lifts. And I've been there. I mean, it is a great way to burn off some steam. But he then proceeds to, you know, bash a mirror with it. So he's clearly unstable. But the usage of workout equipment in this movie, it's a bit overdone. I mean, there's a big moment coming up where she walks in on him and he's doing... like um which machine is he on where he's pulling the bar down <laughs> oh the lap the, the la- yeah he's doing the laps and like i'm like god i'm like do you really have to be doing this right now like it's not adding to the moment but this guy definitely rage lifts and i've never seen that as a trait in a in a villain before um nor have i seen them co- combine the whole taekwondo aspect as well
0: i'm going to assume it's he's trying to or uh, the, the the indication is that he's trying to attempt to compensate for his now disfigured looks, right? If he if he builds up this this body, hey, it's like at least my body looks great. Oh, it does. Uh, I have to, yeah, I have to wear this mask because my face is disfigured. But I'm gonna I'm gonna make my body compensate for it. That's kind of what I got from it. Which kind of it, it's a little bit of a heartbreaking thing to think about right yeah Uh, because you you know eric in the flashbacks as you've mentioned does seem to be like the sweetest guy that you could ever meet like he does everything right he obviously fucks good because they're fucking every time you see him in these flashbacks
1: that's all they had was great sex
0: (laughs) great sex but he knew how to treat her it's not like he just fucked her and threw her out of his room he would buy her orchids he'd buy her candy play her favorite song okay so Susie is trying to close Windsor's fashions when who shows up? Fucking Justin in his tight jeans and his jean jacket and his little crop top. He is showing up and she is like, hey, you got to go. Uh, we're closing. You can come back in the morning. And he's like, you know, baby, I've been watching you for a while and you are one hot item. And she's like, uh, yeah, okay. And she's like, yeah, but you still need to go. And he comes, he's like, gets real closer. And he's like, I think I need to get to know you better. We can be real close if you know what I mean. And she's like, you need to get out of here, asshole. You don't have a chance. And then like aggressively like grabs her hair. And he's like, you know, my dad owns this mall. Just as the dad shows up and tells him to get the hell out of here. You know, Justin takes off and the dad apologizes. The dad's like, oh, teenagers. Even though this guy is clearly 35 years old. And... Susie's response is, oh, a chip off the old block.
1: You know what I like here about this moment is first, I like that Susie just kind of calls Posner up for what he is, which is a piece of shit. Because that comment there, she, chip off the old block, she's like, you're no, you're no better yourself. I, I kind of like that. She's just not taking any shit from anybody. I also appreciate with this moment, you know, this this sequence does not involve Melody. It's just Susie. And I like seeing that Eric becomes enraged watching what I am assuming to be, in his mind, Melody's friend be harassed by this guy. It almost seems like he steps in and what he does coming to Justin here in a moment, which is welcome because Justin's a piece of shit. It almost seems like he's doing it on behalf of Susie, which I kind of like. I think that makes him seem almost like, like again, an anti-hero because he is kind of doing things in defense, not only of melody, but of her friendship circle as well. He's not harming them. He's not coming for her friends.
0: Didn't you find it odd that he just happens to be watching them at this moment when like two seconds ago, he was watching melody like his his whole focus is watching melody and he knows that melody is in this restaurant with peter so you think that he would be still focused on her but it just happens. so happens at this moment he's watching Susie now and you're right his fists are clenching and he's seething when he sees it but it's like you know how i don't want to use the word heavy-handed but like you mentioned it's a it's bad writing like there's no he's There just to be there, like, there's no reason for him to be watching Susie now. It's like every moment, nothing is done, like, everything is done, like, very, very blatantly. You know what I'm saying. Like in the script, okay, we're gonna have him watch. We're gonna have him watch Melody now, so he can get mad and do some powerlifting. Oh, but we need to kill off uh, Justin, so we need to see him get mad. So now he's gonna be watching Susie, even though he's never watched Susie the entire movie. But we're gonna have him watch Susie right at this moment because we have to kill off Justin. It's all very contrived. That's the word I'm looking for. So and it, yeah, it leads to Justin's demise, which is actually one of the best death scenes in the film because he finds a skateboard. And he starts skateboarding through the mall uh, and fucking Eric comes finally out of the out of the vents. Eric is out of the vents. He's at the top of the escalator and he has a fucking lasso and he swings a lasso and lassos around Justin's neck, causing him to be strangled, obviously. And he's like. Throws the other end of the rope into the escalator. And it's a long, drawn out scene of Justin being like strangled as he's pulled up to his inevitable death when he hits the top of the escalator and it like crushes his neck. Uh, It's a very, very, uh, like I said, it's effective. I like this scene a lot. The only thing that kind of ruins it for me is the really bad, like,
1: dubbing. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I look back on my memories of this film, this is the scene that stands out the most. I I vividly remember watching this as a young teen. And, you know, you're right. It's a very effective buildup. It is is well executed. It's something I think we're all terrified of. You know, the idea of, like, having, like, something get caught in an escalator or something like that and yanking you by the neck, like... I don't know. I mean, that's something that's always made me, like, kind of uneasy. Um, And they play it really well, in my mind, up until it gets to the reveal of the kill. And I was really anticipating, because up to this point, I'm still feeling like this is a slasher. I just think it's taken a moment to breathe. Um, But up to this point, we've seen, again, people's faces getting blown off in metal fans. People having their eyeballs pop out. I was thinking, this head's going to get crushed in this thing or something. And then it just builds up to being nothing more than him just, you know, having his neck broken at the top of the escalator, blood coming out of his mouth. That's the end. So it's an amazing build up. The finale of it left a little to be desired for me. Again, it had been a while since I'd seen it, but I was really expecting something kind of along the lines of what we've gotten with all of the other kills thus far.
0: No, I, and I get that. I get that. Yes. Uh, when he actually reaches the top of the escalator to his demise, it is kind of, just kind of caputs out. But I do like the this, the slow buildup. They took their time. I mean, he's struggling. He's screaming. He knows what's going to happen to him. And he's just th- thrashing. And he's just being pulled up this escalator. And it's it's long. It's, excru- it's excruciating to watch until he finally just gets up there. And it, yeah, it just breaks his neck. There's some blood that comes out of his mouth. But it's nothing nearly as gory as... Maybe some of the other death scenes we've said. We've seen eyeballs pop out. We've seen faces get chopped off. I would have liked to see them take it a little further. But build up is great. Peter and Melody are in his car in the parking lot of the mall. And he is telling her that she needs to tell him what happened that night. So we get another flashback. I wonder if this film holds the record for the most flashbacks in film history. It has to be close. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it is a lot. I'd say it's
1: like maybe like twenty percent of the film is fucking flashbacks.
0: Yeah. Um. So she tells him she remembers they got home that night around eleven, and there was a notice on the door from the developers. All the other houses around them have been boarded up because what we are inferring here is that the developers want to buy this land. They've they've bought all the houses around Eric's parents' houses, but Eric's parents are being stubborn and will not sell. Kind of like the family in the Goonies. That's what it reminded me of. So they go inside. His parents are asleep. So of course they go up to his room to fuck that night. He gave her more orchids and they're getting it on. And you know, she remembers being Eric being extra sweet that night. And as he's pounding the shit out of her, all of a sudden the house is on fire and he gets up and he tries to open the, the door to get to the hallway. And he's screaming, mom, dad, but they can't get out to the, because of the flames. She goes out the window and, And, you know, he is trying to help her, but she falls and hits her head and is knocked out for a moment. And he never gets out of the house. And when she comes to, she sees this man with the earring standing above her. And he is, in this flashback, he is dousing her with gasoline. Like, he's trying to set her on fire. He tries to strike the matchbooks, but it's not lighting. Uh, And the, the police show up, so he just gives up and takes off. But she does remember very distinctly the earring.
1: I like this sequence, Troy, a lot. I think this whole flashback... Uh, we really get to see Eric. We've seen him in bits and pieces here, but we really get to see a moment with him here. And he is so darn likable.
0: Yeah. And he's a cutie. I, I guess, you know, I, I feel like the filmmakers made a mistake in giving us all the flashbacks that came before this, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Like if this would have been the first flashback that we got and the only flashback we got, and then maybe they could have made it a little bit longer, I think it would have been much more effective. But by this point, we've had like four flashbacks of them doing the exact same thing. So it really isn't as effective as it could have been as her recounting the story very emotionally. But we already have seen kind of what happens. We already kind of gathered what happens based on the other flashbacks. This should have been the only one in the film.
1: And she's strong here, both in the flashback and in her actual like recollecting what happened. You know, she's been, you know, the actress has not really had. A lot required of her thus far, other than being likable and being sweet and being pleasant. But as we'll find, you know, things get a lot more physical for her. She is needing to go places emotionally more and more as the film progresses. And she actually handles some of this dialogue rather capably. She has lots of really well-placed natural like pauses. Her, her dialogue does not sound like scripty or unnatural at all to me. So I really think she did quite a good job with this, even with it being an aspect of the story that's been beaten with like a dead horse. We have heard the tale of what's happened to Eric so many times at this point that, yeah, the flashback really isn't that necessary. It's cool to finally see the fire happen and how it actually transpired. It's effective seeing the house burn, seeing her get thrown from the house, everything that happened. I I just feel like it's not shocking at this point because of what you said, We've seen it in multiple increments up to this point. Little visions, dream sequences. They keep coming back to it. So yeah, I I agree with you on that note. I feel like we could have just seen this play out as it did and not have so much handed to us previously in the film.
0: So after she reveals this, Peter is like, you know what? I think I figured it out. Uh, The guy that you saw with the earring had to have been hired by Posner, the mall owner. To burn down the house because Eric's parents would not sell it. And she then makes the comment. She's like, Well, you know, do you think it's possible that Eric could still be alive? And he says, That would explain a lot of things, right? That would explain the dress, the song playing, some of the stuff that's happened. And then he proceeds to tell her there's only one way to find out. We need to go to the cemetery and dig his grave. And if he's in the coffin, we know he's dead. If he's not, we know he's still alive, which kind of seems... I mean, I get the plan, but like, if Eric was so... I mean, Eric obviously has concocted this whole thing. I mean, he's not a dumb person, so I would think that he would have put something in the coffin. Like, I don't know, found another burned body. I, I don't know. And this whole thing about going to the cemetery and digging up Eric's body just didn't really... Do it for me as, as a means to prove that he's alive or dead.
1: I feel like it's a bold decision to go from. I don't know if we're talking about your boyfriend that died in a fire. Now coming back as a phantom and killing people To I think we should go and dig up his grave. But
0: but Roger, for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a coroner or a caretaker or a funeral director, but like, how feasible is it that an f- empty coffin would be buried like wouldn't I I am understanding that his parents probably passed away right in the fire but like why would they just bury a coffin without having like without finding some proof of him being dead I'm sure they found his parents bodies right burned in the house you can find bodies after a fire it just doesn't make any sense that why did why was a coffin of Eric's buried in the first place if a body was never found like you don't just bury an empty coffin or are
1: you saying to me that a body was like found and buried and now you're thinking that that body was actually alive the entire time because either either way whatever way they're trying to play this with the whole digging up of the coffin it makes no sense that that coffin exactly would be there to begin with um because i do believe that they've been saying that they never found his corpse they've been saying that he was never discovered right
0: yeah, so so they just buried an empty coffin. I it Makes it, no, no sense. No, well, at the same moment, all of a sudden, fucking the security guard, the one with the dangly earring, pulls a gun and puts it through the window, the car window, He's like, "You come with you guys are coming with me." Uh, so they he, he forces him out of the car. Uh, and he he looks at Melanie. He's like, "You remember me? Because I remember you."
1: Oh, he just straight up confesses to her. Like it, 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 he just tells her, he's like, "I'm the one that tried to burn you alive." He's kind of hot too. Is it just me or is he kind of hot and like a creepy? No, he way?
0: is kind of hot. I like his the lips. Guy, oh yeah. he, he is kind of hot. Yes, he's very pretty. I would say pretty. He's very pretty. Uh, Peter is yeah, hot.
1: This guy's pretty with those full lips.
0: This guy is pretty. I'm I'm not going to turn him away. But yeah, he's again the men in this film. Whoo. But there's this moment where he like he's gonna murder these two right in the mall parking lot. Like this guy has no, this guy is not conspicuous. Like I said, he's knocking babies down, punching delivery men, and now he's gonna shoot two human beings in the mall parking lot, which cannot be the smartest place to do this. Because he goes, he pulls Peter away to go shoot him. Peter has the good sense to take his camera and flash the flash in his face and punch him, and they're able to get back in the car and. Fucking, this is when it becomes fast and furious because this this car chase ensues through the mall parking garage and, you know, the, the security guard even calls the Ken Foree character for backup.
1: And he's jumping in, like, helping him.
0: So, answer me this, because I got confused. Is the Ken Foree character in on it?
1: I feel like the Ken Foree character is actually a security guard, the head security guard. And I think that what happened was is Posner hired on the new security guard to replace the one that died, acting like I hired this guy. I know he's capable because he's the mall owner. He's going to make that decision. So he hired him on. So I think Ken Foree thinks that they're chasing down people who, I don't know, done something awful, do not know that this other security guard is actually an assassin in disguise as a security guard. Either way, no matter how you shake it, this movie gives you everything. I mean, you get a lavish chase sequence through this parking garage. Multiple cars. People getting crashed into. People, a man getting hit and flipping head over <laughs> heels, flipping over the hood of a car. I was going to say, people are getting
0: run over. I it's mean, It's violent.
1: At this mall... So
0: this mall, I would feel like by now would have a pretty bad reputation. Like I'm sure this mother of that baby, I keep going back to the <laughs> baby, baby just because was like, come over. on, like, what, did she not go to the news news or something and be like, hey, this mall, my baby in a stroller got knocked over and yeah, poor delivery man got, you'd think this mall would have a bad reputation by now. You're telling me
1: that delivery man didn't go back to his employer and say, I want to fucking sue the security guard at this mall, the one with the earring. I know exact I'll tell you which one it was, it's the one with the fucking earring. Straight up <laughs> ran into my palate and when I went to confront him, he right hooked me to the jaw. <laughs> like, that is a lawsuit waiting to happen no matter how the mall owner wants to shake it. You're not telling me people are coming from left and right and saying, my, my, my baby's getting pushed over. Amanda, <laughs> I just saw a man get hit by a car. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> tighten it up here at this, at the goddamn, uh, what's the name of the ball again? Wildwood,
0: Midwood, the Midwood? Midwood, Midwood Mall. <laughs>
1: Midwood <laughs> Mall is a dangerous.
0: <laughs> they need to rename it Wildwood.
1: It's a mall. dangerous place. Dude, don't go there. <laughs> well, I know
0: there's a mall. There is a mall in Houston. When I lived in Houston, that was it. Was real name was Greens Point Mall, right? But everyone called it Guns Point because apparently it was all kinds of you know violent criminal shit happen and i'm sure babies were not getting knocked over <laughs> at fucking guns point <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah what that happens if a baby's getting knocked over that place is problematic like you got to get the cops involved but it's the cops they're do it's the security guards they're doing it so that's a problem the- but either way the chase happens eventually it does culminate in uh uh goddamn eric jumping on the hood of the car and causing the guy's name is Christopher, by the way. It said once in the movie. Christopher it is Christopher, you're right. veering his car off the, off the top of the building and landing it on top of another car. But somehow he manages to survive, but it's quite a collision.
0: Christopher, yeah, he's able to get out just in time. Okay, and logical thing for Peter and Melody to do after being almost brutally murdered in a parking lot of a mall and then chased by said murderer is to go to the cemetery and dig up the grave and they do peter opens the casket and it's empty of
1: course it is i mean at this point i'm not surprised by this and then they should go up to the mayor's house in the middle of the night none of this makes sense why don't they just go to the police first of all i guess it's because the security guard was chasing them but still i feel like the the overall police force here is going to have their backs when you tell them that you just got chased down in a vehicle by a guy with a dangling earring. But no, they go to dig up the coffin, and the more I think about it, Troy, the angrier I get that they went to dig up that fucking coffin. Because you're absolutely right; there is no reason his body was never discovered. (laughs) There's nothing there, even no matter what, whether he's dead or not. If he died, he's nothing but he's dust in the wind.
0: (laughs) Well, and guys, even I'm sorry. This was this was 1989. Even in 1989, if a body burned in a house fire, you would still find remnants of it it would take a massively massively hot fire to not leave any remains right so the fact that they're trying to play this off and even if they're trying to make the insinuation that oh we didn't find his body because it burnt to a crisp so we're going to assume he's dead and just bury this empty coffin. no that's fucking stupid and it makes zero sense you would find something the teeth anything not the whole Uh, yeah it just it's frustrating
1: and then you're going to tell me troy that Logically, that these kids are just showing up at the mayor's residence. If that was acceptable, um, that imagine people just showing up on the mayor's lawn, like I want to talk to you about my neighbor getting on my property and trimming my bushes. People would be lining up outside that woman's door, just bringing their complaints to her, like it's the middle of the biblical ages where they would have to go to a pharaoh or something, you know, to have them bless the crops. But no, so they're going to the mayor's house. Like, it ain't no big deal. Middle of the night, she's in her pajamas. She's like, come on in. She's like, I'm going to help you. She's like, not only is the mayor, like, hearing them out, but she's also like, you know what? You get me some more information, and I'll I'll make sure we see this taken care of. Come on. No mayor. No mayor. (laughs) I don't care how small and bum-tuck the fucking city may be, this town may be. I, there is no mayor that's going to have their house open to the public to come just waddling up with their theories of <laughs> phantoms haunting malls.
0: Well, you know they knew Morgan Fairchild would not take this role unless she got m- more screen Ample. time. So they probably just—I guarantee you—in the original script, they they went to see like the sheriff or something, and Morgan Fairchild's like, "Nope, I need more screen time. You better change that to <laughs> put me in
1: some good <laughs> costumes too. I don't want anything frumpy. I want my tits up to here." Morgan Fairchild and she she got what she wanted. Well, now
0: we cut back to the mall and Posner is scolding Christopher for flubbing up the murder of of Peter and Melody and and um he is not t- too happy with Christopher. He tells him, "You need to take that earring off because that's that's a that's a distinguishable. People can." And he goes to reach for the earring and Christopher grabs him and he's like over my dead body that earring will come off
1: over my dead body i you are not taking this earring off this man's ear and Posner has a valid point he is absolutely right he's like you are making it very obvious that you are who you are you cannot be wearing this dangle earring
0: yeah i don't know my i feel like you know it's I don't know where he got this earring. Why is he so attached to it? I don't know. It's never I explained. Like maybe it, maybe a lover gave it to him when he was in prison. Oh, yes. And he just doesn't want to take it off. It, I don't know. Um, but those lips. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And Posner is like, well, you got to do it tomorrow. And now we get another sex dream from Melody. This is the horniest broad in the fucking. She's having a sex dream where Eric is pounding the shit out of her. And then he morphs into Peter. And she gets this big old smile on her face. And then it morphs into Christopher and his dangly earring. He's like, it's time, pretty lady. And she, she wakes up from this tree.
1: This woman cheats on Eric with the entire extended male cast in the sex dream. I mean, they do make this very seemingly modest young woman quite a sexual individual. I mean, she's thinking about sex when she's not... Being pursued by the Phantom or being attacked in parking lots, this girl is dreaming about sex. I mean, she's going through her sexual awakening. I feel like she is ready to get fucked at all times. And she's got her eyes on Peter. At this point, this dream makes it clear.
0: I mean, I can't say that I blame her. Like if- All
1: three of them, Troy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but Peter, I mean, oof.
1: Yes. Yeah. But tell me that. I'll take any of them. Well,
0: yeah. I'm not going to turn any of no, them. down. But...
1: but Peter's my pick of the litter.
0: She She's one lucky gal. Let's just <laughs> yeah. put it that way.
1: Imagine that, that, that foursome. I mean, imagine. Good God. She would walk out like she was riding side saddle for days. I mean, just waddling out of that orgy. Okay. we got to keep moving. We've got to land the plane. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh... We see Eric in the annals of the wherever the fuck he is. I don't is he in the basement? Is he in the vents? Who knows at this point, but he is rigging a bomb.
1: Where did he get this? <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> assuming we're supposed to The Bomb store in the mall? I was just...
0: <laughs> there isn't there this moment where he like goes. Into the sporting goods store and steals yeah, that like sporting That sporting
1: goods store isn't going to have bombs. Like-
0: no, but they he, he has like this. It's not a bomb, but it's like a stretchy cord uh. that he uses to to, to build the. Bo- I don't. Okay,
1: whatever nonsense. Keep going.
0: <laughs> but but next. So then Melody's at work and the earring guy, he is bold. This he's bold. Christopher is bold because he shows up at the restaurant, and sits at one of her tables.
1: Oh, I love this music cue here. Like this music starts coming up and it's like fucking catchy and intense. And she's she's not dealing with this. She immediately goes to call for Peter and she's like, Christopher is fucking here at my job. And right as she's in the middle of conversation, I like this moment, he swoops in behind her and grabs her, and they break into what is, I would say, my favorite moment in the movie.
0: Oh, when he's like throwing her against the wall and pulls her into the maintenance room and like throws her down on the floor and slaps the shit out of her?
1: I didn't anticipate this young woman to step it up in the choreographed fight sequence department, but... I think if you're going to go into, like, a very, like, intense, like, male versus female fight sequence, there's two ways you can play it. Either you go real, like, uh, uh, fragile and delicate, where the woman just can't fight back. She's so scared, which feels very dated. Or you have a woman who fights back as though she's about to be, you know, murdered, which is what you want to see. And Melody... Really, up to this point, I didn't anticipate her to be the girl that was going to fight back. I really thought she was going to be the damsel in distress. I thought she was going to be the one that was hanging on Peter's arm for the majority of this film. But no, I mean, she is just thrashing and kicking, kneeing him in the crotch. I think she headbutts him at one point. And then she's running and he tackles her around the waist. The way they film this sequence and the way they choreograph this sequence is honestly one of the best standout moments in the film to me. I think it feels very real. I think she feels extremely desperate. She's doing whatever she needs to do to survive. She's a a final girl that fights back. And I really like that about her. And whenever she's able to, she continues to fight back up to the point that she's hanging off that goddamn banner. I mean, she is a character that is not waiting for the male to swoop in and help her. She is ready to defend herself.
0: Well, we also we also have to point out this moment where he when, he when he first grabs her, she drops her keys on the floor because that comes into play. But yeah, he slaps her and is like beating this. I mean, yeah, they are going at it. When Eric comes out of the darkness of this room and like round kicks Christopher. What the, the fuck? Yeah, now this... <laughs> turns into basically like a kung fu Jackie Chan movie. The two of them are doing a poor attempt. The choreography between Christopher and Melody was pretty good. You know, their fight scene, but this is a little far-fetched. Like you can tell it's a bit rough. They're there's they're kicking each other, but they're not even coming close to each other. They knock each other to the ground. There's this moment then when Christopher gets Eric and like throws his head on the shelf of the trash compactor and starts to bring it down. Uh, But Eric is able to grab it and push it back up and then flip himself over and put Christopher's head on this trash compactor and start it. And very reminiscent of the scene in intruder, this trash compactors thing comes down as Christopher sees it just getting closer and closer and he can't do anything. And it literally decapitates him. And we see the head come off and everything. We
1: do, but, and I watch this back a few times, but I, I feel that this is building up and building up. Martial arts sequence, long martial arts sequence. I mean, we're talking a long fight sequence. It goes way longer than it needs to. And, and then it, finally you get this point where Christopher, you're right, you know, he's laying there, he's screaming his head off and then the thing comes down and it's like a it like it's like it's a clean <laughs> cut where the, the head just tumbles off and it's clearly like the, the fake rubber head Toppling back into a bunch of boxes, it it looks pretty fake. You can kind of tell that the head is just there, like and go, and the head just drops off. But I'll take it. I mean, it's it's fun seeing him get killed. I'm happy this character died.
0: Yeah. Oh no, the decapitation sequence in Intruder is fifty times better. Oh my god. But you know, I mean, so far though, the effects in this film have been pretty hokey, anyways. Yeah. So it doesn't really feel out of place. But yeah, we do get the scene. Then when Posner is up in his office getting ready for the party, he grabs his jacket off of the coat rack, and already Christopher's decapitated head is on there. I want to know how did he? How did Eric get it up there so quickly?
1: The vents, man. He's he's scuttling through those vents all the times. He's always in the fucking vents. Um, I, I like this moment. I I think that actually it was kind of a fun reveal. I don't know how it happened. It makes no fucking sense. But yeah, it, it is a fun moment.
0: Buzz figures out that Melody's in trouble. So he grabs Susie and he's like, hey, we got to go find Melody. She is in trouble. We cut back to Melody waking up on a sofa somewhere deep in the tunnels of this mall. And she sees photos of herself and then sees Eric doing these pull downs that you mentioned earlier.
1: This whole visual is absurd. Yeah, it's he's just and he's only do you
0: notice there's like he's only doing like five pounds? Like it's not even set at like any weight at all. It's like one bar
1: this whole sequence as it starts to unfold, it's kind of a, a series of just like really strange choices. Cause yes, it starts off he's doing the lap pull downs, you hear the metal clanking, clanking as she wakes up and she starts to creep in towards him. And then and then you see Eric and when you look at Eric, when you look at him like clear and not, like, covered in shadows. He really is just, like, a handsome, physically fit guy from one angle and a horribly mutated, deformed, injured person from the other angle. And it really makes kind of for an absurd visual, because he's, like, wearing, like, a a biker jacket or, like, a sportsman's jacket and a baseball cap, and he's really buff, really fit. So, like, even though he is deformed, he's also still kind of still sexy. It, it, It makes it, it definitely makes it less scary when they really show him up close and clear but like the mask you see the mask she takes off the mask the voice what they do to the voice it's like it's all like batman and gravelly and it just it makes for a really weird overall reveal to who this character is now and what he's become
0: this scene is like parallel to the famous scene in phantom of the opera right where the uh, Phantom is playing the piano and the girl sneaks up behind him to, to, to grab him and take off the mask. It's shot very similarly, but instead of playing a piano, <laughs> our Phantom is doing lap pull downs. He's but she approaches him, down. yeah, and she's like, hey, Eric, hi, Eric. Yeah, and he turns around and takes the mask off and she sees that he's disfigured. And, you know, she's taken aback by it, obviously. She doesn't, like, scream and run away like the girl in Phantom of the Opera does. All she says is that you know what, I knew you were alive and watching over me. And he's like, yes, I've been watching over you and I won't let anybody hurt you.
1: The makeup here, when lit the right way, is actually kind of cool. Like the eye, you see the eye like kind of melted and deformed. Um, but there's other angles where it's a bit excessive. It's a, especially the back of the head. Like you can see areas when he moves certain ways, you can see where it's definitely like rubber. But he has a very distinct look. Half of his face is completely melted. And her reaction here, like when she she sees him, she's definitely, like you said, taken aback. And then he'd like bust out the line, oh, Melody, I always knew we would be together again. And you can see like in her face, she's like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Because this guy is horribly mutated. But it does present the idea. And you touched on this a little bit earlier. And I really want to like bring this up in the sense of her character arc. It really does bring about the idea of when somebody is horribly disfigured or injured or their beauty is taken away, does one still have the ability to love them? And like in her case, it seems like the answer is no. Is that fair to him? Like, I mean, yes, he's done some horrible things, but he's also like clearly been going out of his way to reconnect with her. And I I wonder if she... If it makes sense, her response, like, what do you think? Do you think it makes sense that she responds so like abruptly, like, no, this is not possible? Or do you think if you saw that face, you'd be like, there's no fucking way in hell?
0: Well, I don't want to speak for myself because I don't want to sound shallow or superficial, right? But you know, you look at it from the perspective of she. You know, she's a young teenager, right? Looks are obviously very important to her, and I'm not judging the character on her superficiality or anything like that because we don't know. Like you're right, we don't know how we would react in a situation like this if you think about it. Yeah, you're with somebody, you've grown a connection with them, and then you think they're dead, right? You try to move on with your life, you and you happen to just to meet somebody that is you're you're heavily attracted to, like she does, and then this person comes back into your life and you find out oh they're not dead and now they they're yeah they're horribly disfigured people might say oh you know i i would look beyond it but would you really i know would you really and could you really blame her like i said she's young in this film she's supposed to be an 18 year old girl right and I'm sorry, Peter is fucking gorgeous. And and he's portrayed just as much of a nice guy as Eric seemed to be. He's doing everything right. He's not an asshole. He's actually very smart. He, he cares about Melody. You can tell he, he wants to uh, figure out what happened to her so that she can move on. Um, so I can't say I I blame her. And it's not her fault that Eric has not let her know that he's been alive this entire time. That's kind of a shitty thing to do. He could have reached out to her anytime. He could have done lots of things. He's obviously known where she's lived, known where she's been. Why didn't he, you know, a week after this house fire, reach out to her and be like, Hey, I'm alive. But unfortunately, so it's just, it's, we have to look at that perspective too, right? yeah, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting topic to, to ponder. And like I said, I don't want to make a judgment on what anybody else would do. I don't know. I mean, you know, you kind of have to, and again, I don't want to sound superficial, but I mean, attraction, physical attraction is a strong element of overall attraction in general. Right. And she's not saying that they, that she, she doesn't act like they can't be in each other's lives anymore. She's not like saying, oh, you're hideous. I don't want anything to do with you. Is she just saying that she can't be with him like that in a, in a romantic way anymore. And really based on all the flashbacks, all it seems like their relationship was based off of anyway, is sex.
1: But it also does make for his journey, which you also brought this up earlier. um, I think compensating for his physical deformities with making sure his body is, a fighting machine and thus fucking banging. I mean like that ass looks tight, looks real tight. I mean, he looks good uh, aside from the the melting face. Um, It does make it for a really sad story arc though, for the character of Eric, because I think he genuinely has been trying to make up for what happened to him and compensate for it and be the very best version of himself that he can be at least physically for her. Um, And and when she has this response where she's like, I'm sorry, it's just, I can't, I can't be with you. Um, I mean, he is reasonably devastated uh, and and does respond even more aggressively than I anticipated. I mean, I knew he was going to be hurt, but he does proceed to do a few shitty things.
0: He turns into the guy that doesn't take no for an answer. And he turns into the guy that's like, if I can't have you, nobody can.
1: Right. That's a bummer though, because up to this point, I didn't think that was his character.
0: Um, At the party, Peter approaches the mayor like this mayor, like, again, these people are acting like the mayor is like the fucking police chief because Peter's like, oh, uh, Melody's missing. And before he can really get into any more details, Posner comes up and distracts her. Buzz and Susie um, try to get into this restricted area by Buzz distracting the security guard by doing a little like seductive dance in front of the security camera that he knows the, the security guard is watching that culminates in, in um, Polly Shore actually pulling down his pants and us seeing his ass, which I could have done without. But it does work. The security guard comes out of the room to check it out, and they're able to go into the security guard uh, station and look at the cameras. And, and right away, Susie notices Melody's keys on the floor by the vent opening, so that's where they head. It's a very
1: Paulie Shore moment. Him playing with his nipples and everything. I agree. Like this is. I feel like they like let him be his weirdest here, and it didn't need to go there. But it serves the purpose. It gets them in the room. They know where they need to go. I do like that they've become a duo, and I do like that they are out to find their friend.
0: That's what I was saying earlier in the episode is like, there's, there's, you know, this sort of like weird dynamic between the two of them. I'm not saying it's like a love interest dynamic, but I really, really like it because it's unexpected that these two would be the ones that are kind of paired together. Back in the tunnel, Eric is showing Melody all these dresses that he got from her. Did he steal these?
1: Yes. But so what a thoughtful uh, gesture to go and steal her favorite color, purple. And I mean, tell me right now, Troy, you got to be honest. I need your opinion. Would you still bang it out with Eric post house fire? Like looking at him now, I mean that body, the gifts he gives, treating her like a princess. He is. I mean, would you? Would you? Why are you making me sound like the bad guy? Uh, yes, I think I would. I think I would. I abs- I mean, he looks great. I can I could angle his face or maybe give him a a veil or something. a paper
0: bag, I don't know.
1: No, I mean, I'll look at half of it. I don't want to be I don't want to be shallow. I'm sure I would be, but I'm trying not to be. Well, but everything else looks good. Maybe put him on his
0: stomach. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so but it's also very presumptuous of him to yes. assume that she's just going to give up her life to live with him in the sewer system of the mall. I mean, Eric, come on, you're smarter than that. But yeah, he has all these dresses for her and she's like, no, Eric, I cannot do this. My, I don't belong down here. And this is when uh, he again gets fucking pissed and he's like, I'm not letting you go ever. You know, without me, you have no life. And he like goes to kiss her and she like slaps him. I mean, it's it's quite aggressive.
1: Yeah, and it gets even more aggressive. And again, it's kind of a downer turn for his character that this was like his end goal to just bring her down to his lair where they could, I guess, live happily ever after. Of course, this beautiful young woman is not going to want anything to do with that.
0: Well, when, when Eric realizes that Melody is not going to give in easily to his advances. He takes off running through the vent system and he screams, it's him, isn't it? Implying her interest in Peter, right? And she tells him, you know, things have changed and he takes off running through the vents. Uh, yeah, and Buzz and Susie they go and get the keys and go into the vent because Melody's they know they see Melody's keys are right by this vent opening, so they go inside. Um, Eric has made his way back into the sporting goods store to get like this wire that he can do to activate this bomb sooner. Peter sees him and goes after him, you know. And this is like Eric realizes that Peter's like, somewhere around, so he starts like knocking on the vents to lure Peter to follow him. Um, and this is when Peter starts to follow him and he falls through this vent conveniently lands on both legs. Like it was kind of a, it's kind of real awkward. Like he, you think he fell like a huge distance because of the scream, but then you see him and he's like literally like four feet down standing on his feet. It's real weird, real weird, but he does see like dead bodies in this tunnel that he fell into. And now we cut to again, Eric, literally Roger attacking Melody. Telling her he's not letting her go ever. And again, you know, he, he basically tells her that once his bomb goes off and he destroys what's above them, that they will be together forever.
1: Eric has gone full villain at this point. And not only is he basically forcing her down and, and trying to forcefully kiss her and threaten her and, and, apparently threatening to kill her i mean it does seem like he's like we're gonna die together in this mall um but he's also making it very clear that he is blowing this whole place up and everybody is going to die so he's become real dark real fast
0: so as he's going through the tunnels peter encounters this damn cobra this cobra is down in the tunnels hissing at people as they walk by <laughs> where'd this go and it's there for a while how do you get out of the toilet bowl and go back down into the tunnels what i want to know
1: I think you almost see, like, don't you see the can kind of, like, roll in? I almost thought, like, it was planted there to keep people away. I don't know. Are there multiple Cobras? How easy is it to procure a Cobra?
0: I think it would be pretty hard. I mean, does the mall have a pet?
1: The pet store.
0: It has a pet store that sells Cobras. <laughs>
1: sells Cobras. Well, it also sells bombs, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is a
0: fucking major mall here. Yeah. That's why Wildwood is on the map. Absolutely. it's a mall that sells Cobras and <laughs> or whatever the fuck it's called, Midwood, Wildwood. Okay, so Eric is telling Melody at this point that he's going to have his revenge and nobody can do anything about it, including her. Then he makes the comment, it's just too bad that you won't be sharing it with me, insinuating that he's either going to kill her or... And just suddenly, Peter busts in and a fight ensues with him and Eric, which causes like a fire to start in Eric's makeshift living room. Eric gets ready like Eric is fucking a tough motherfucker I mean he's he's lap pulling five pounds at a time so he is built and he so he grabs Peter and is getting ready to like punch him out and Melody steps in and she's like no Eric I love him and Peter takes this distraction because Eric is like what to like punch Eric and knock him down and on the way down he knocks his head onto this table and they are able to run out of the tunnel system at the same time Eric basically comes to and this party is going on at this mall as well. The Fourth of July bash is, is is happening. It's happening.
1: All these old cows, they're gorging at the trough. They're just filling their plates with meats and their fancy dresses and their suits and just, you know, having themselves a time as you got the two hosts of the party just talking about how big everything's gonna be and You know, all the things that are to come for the mall. It's really quite an event. The building is now ablaze right now, which is fitting uh, because, you know, obviously it keeps coming back to that fire. So, like, of course it is. But it doesn't really, like, you don't really see the fire get into the mall, per se. It's all happening, like, below hand. But it does build up. There is that bomb. And it's counting down from 20 at that point.
0: Peter and Melody get out of the tunnel with Buzz and Susie. And Melody runs to the mayor and tells her they have to evacuate because there's a bomb. And the mayor, Miss Morgan Fairchild, responds by pulling a gun on her and and saying, I can't have you ruin this party. And leading her and Peter up to her office to reveal, Roger, that she was the mastermind behind covering up the arson.
1: Talk about a twist. Like, not expecting this. Well, I mean, kind of expecting it. I mean, she has such a close relationship with the owner of the mall. But overall, even after revealing herself to be a villainess, uh, Morgan Fairchild still seems very pleasant and easy to converse with. And she's telling them, she's like, I I mean, of course I did what I had to do. I mean, come on now, with her little gun. She's up in this office, and she's, Confessing to covering up the arson, when again, out of nowhere, Eric busts out jumping down from the vent. He just straight up punches Peter to the ground, and then he lifts, <laughs> he proceeds to lift Mayor Karen above his head, and in grand fashion, takes her to the window and just chucks this woman head first out this window. It is one of the most unexpected kills I've ever seen. It's I mean I I will say it pays off. I mean Morgan Fairchild in that sequined dress going out a window with her hair all big, landing on that table decoration going through her torso. Best kill of the movie in my opinion. Unexpected I like everything about it. Oh yeah. The audience
0: has to watch as she lands on that spear and it goes through her. Yeah. And then they're, they're like screaming and they look up and we see that melody has climbed out the window and she's trying to climb across this beam as Eric is like going after her.
1: This movie did not need to go this hard with its ending, but I mean, it is now gone to, I almost feel like this is like on a diehard level. Like you got melody climbing across beams you got Eric Chasener, you got women falling out windows, Ken Forey comes in, he's shooting at Eric. Luckily, you have Buzz and Susie get on the fucking speaker system and very professionally announce that there is a bomb threat, get out of the building, so people are flipping their shit in their dresses and their suits, running out of the building. It gets really extreme for a moment. This finale is really loaded. <laughs>
0: Oh, and Melody actually falls off the beam, but she catches on to the banner and is like hanging three stories above the crowd as they're like screaming and trying to get out. Uh, Peter, though, is able to like get her to safety, pull her into safety onto the ledge. Uh, yeah, security guard Ferray shoots Eric and hits him in the shoulder as he's like reeling in pain. He notices he notices Mr. Posner, so he's able to like swing from a banner and knock Posner down. And then into the office and screaming at him, Look what you did to me. Look what you did to me. And Posner offers him money. He's like, I've made some mistakes, but I may eat my words. But take my take, I could give you any amount of money you want. And Eric somehow gets a blowtorch. where did he get this from? And he's like, Eat this. And he sets fucking Posner on fire. He
1: full on just tackles him midair. He's flying through the air and he knocks the guy through the window. They get knocked into the store called the Rough House, but I don't know what the fuck the Rough House is supposed to be, because it's a store that sells both blowtorches and it sells kerosene tanks. So I think that's a really bad combination to have in a store together. But it's perfectly placed for a big finale moment where he lifts the blowtorch up and he full on like lights this guy up ablaze. It's really intense. I mean, the guy is on fire. It's pretty wild. And then he falls in that goddamn tank. And, I mean, the pyrotechnics in this movie, whoever did it, good for them. Because now you got Eric jumping out the window as this building just blows up behind him. And you have this big epic sequence of him falling, apparently, to his death. To the ground below. It's just really, really intense. I, I did not expect this movie to end with such a literal bang.
0: Yeah. And, and Buzz and Susie show up on a motorbike and they're able to pick up Peter and Melody. And as they buzz through the mall and get out, the mall literally blows up like seconds after they exit. And Melody's response is, Well, it looks like Eric got what he wanted. And Peter says, Well, that may be, but at least I got you. Kind of a weird, weird thing to say. Like, you're, I mean, despite Eric turning into kind of an asshole, I felt like this dialogue was a little kind of shitty.
1: Yeah, it seems really cold considering the relationship she had with Eric, even though he made some really awful choices. I would have liked to have seen her, I don't know, maybe just watch on as the building burns with tears in her eyes or something, acknowledging all the things, the awful things this poor guy went through. I mean, at the end of the day, He did some really shitty things, but he was also the victim of some really shitty circumstances. And so you do kind of want to see him get his revenge, Eric's revenge. And he does get it, but he also kind of becomes the villain in the meanwhile, and that's kind of unfortunate for him.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things that was lost on maybe Melody and her reaction to him in the tunnels was the fact that... Okay, this isn't his fault. Like he, you remember he had a really shitty thing happen. You were there. His parents were burned to death. He's disfigured. I mean, I I feel like even if she didn't want to be with him, she could have said it a little bit more, I don't know, less harshly, though I doubt that he would have taken it better either way. But uh, I mean, yeah, we can't forget that Eric was a victim as well. So take that as you will. But the film ends with a long extended shot on Eric's burned. Now he's completely burned lifeless face and the end credits begin to roll. And then we get that song. Is there a madman in the mall? Is there a phantom in the mall or is it just in and kind of inappropriate lyrics now, but at least it has its own theme song.
1: I like this like catchy finale that it has. Um, Not the tone I expected. I also was totally anticipating he, that he would open his eyes during the final shot, but he does not, which I'm like, thank God this poor man. I mean, let him fucking die. How many burns does this man's face have to take? His face is now completely charred, blackened. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy he didn't come back to life. He deserves peace.
0: I will say if I had to applaud this film for anything, the hardest, that would be it, because I totally thought that they were going to go the cliched route and open up his eyes to make way for a sequel. And, and thank God they did not. Yeah, he's dead, and that's the end. There was never a sequel, and we got our, we got our saga of the Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. You know, is it the best slasher film of, that come out of the eighties? No, not by far. And there are points we're calling it a slasher film is even pushing it. But again, I just find that this film, as cheesy, absurd, ridiculous as it is, is just so watchable and just so entertaining. It's it's just something you can put on, and I think it's just going to put a smile on your face because of the stupidity and the absurdity that's that's playing out on screen. Oh, it's
1: very enjoyable. I mean, it makes not a lick of fucking sense. And you're left feeling kind of empty towards the characters. But the process of getting from point A to point Z, it's a hell of a fun time. I mean, it feels very of the era, but in the best possible ways. And the areas that it does succeed, the strengths of the film, often the characters, uh, which keep the movie going, even when it hits some of its more absurd plot points. A lot of the characters in this film are really likable. None of the focal characters die. I went into this, and I couldn't remember if Polly Shore made it to the end of the movie, Susie made it to the end of the movie, Um, They do become kind of secondary. They're helping keep a certain aspect of the plot moving along. They do serve a purpose, though. You know, they're definitely pivotal to ensuring that the movie wraps up nicely and that our leads get to safety. Um, And I'm happy that none of these characters meet their demise. Uh, If Maybe if this did pan out as a full-on slasher from beginning to end, I would feel differently. But because it does take the route that it takes, I'm cool with them living. That's one of the upsides for me. Because I think they're all likable characters, and they deserve to make it to the end with this situation that's presented with this fucking Phantom bench-pressing in a mall.
0: Again, that's all I can say. As I enjoy the fuck out of this movie, it's stupid as fuck. Uh, I sh- it, it, it is. It's really fucking stupid. But goddamn, is it fun. And that's all I can ask for for a film called Phantom of the Mall. I mean, I just want to be entertained. And I was. It's a film that I would definitely watch again, and just throw on for like background as well because it's just—I don't know—you don't—you don't have to have a lot of—I don't know—you you don't have to pay attention to it all that well to get what's going on because if you miss something, God knows there's going to be another flashback five minutes that's going to show you what you missed. So. Just, again, I like it. So guys, let let us know your thoughts on Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, if you've seen it. If you haven't, hopefully you watched it before this episode, so let us know. Also, let us know, could you go back to Eric after this accident, seeing his face reveal? Would you be able to do it? We're not going to judge. We just want to know. But on that note, Check out Patreon if you want another two hour episode only um, of a Betty Davis flick that I spend the two hours bitching about. Check out Patreon or even just give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, folks. We are quickly approaching our 100th episode. So, Roger, real, 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 real quick as we went way over what we anticipated for this episode, tell us what our next episode is going to be. Yeah, this is
1: episode 99 and after our last Patreon review, I did put Troy through an experience that I feel um maybe I don't want to say left a bad taste in his mouth, but it wasn't necessarily his favorite cinematic experience to date. So I was like, you know, we got to keep it light. Let's make it something a little more modern and let's make it a movie that uh, I haven't watched in a while. So I just reached out into the air and grabbed something and pulled it down and I looked at what it was and it was 2005's overlooked and underappreciated voodoo slasher, Venom. Starring a lovely Agnes Bruckner, who can't land herself a good movie to save her life, and the wonderful Megan Good, and the controversial Bijou Phillips, whom we've learned since covering a recent Bijou Phillips title, that she does not have many fans out there at all. And for good reason, it sounds.
0: Yeah, and we will get into that with the film because, yeah, I, I listened to a podcast episode that somebody suggested I listen to. Uh, it was Heather Matarazzo's podcast episode, and she had Daniel Franz, Franzese um, on, who worked with Baiju Phillips on Bully, and he does not have a positive experience. Neither does Heather Matarazzo from working with Ron Hostel too. So we will discuss that. Not that it m- matters to the movie, but I mean... The movie we're discussing, which is Venom. So stay tuned, guys. Again, let us know your thoughts on Phantom of the Mall. Check out our Patreon. And until next week, when we are in episode 99, guys, can you believe that 99? It's exciting. So close, so close. But with that, guys, good night.
1: Good night.
0: Be careful if you venture to the mall this weekend.